Yeah, and so for the purposes of tr trying to keep things separate, because we are then going to combine them again later, but sort of, so th these terms are not set in stone. So I've laid out what I'm going to refer to as player progression versus subjective progression versus character progression. All three of these things could in some way be thought of as just character progression in its classic sense. But I want to sort of disentangle these because I think they are distinct facets. So we're talking about the same gem but we're looking at it from different perspectives. And so, okay, player progression, the first one. What do I mean by this? So this is sort of the, what Lauren had, had just said. This is like sort of the, the assembly of like characteristics and like abilities that you like have and how they transform over time. And so like, you know, the classic example of this would be sort of, you know, in an RPG, when you level up, you know, you gain enough experience to level up, you get a new ability, and with that new ability, you can engage in new forms of gameplay. That is a transformation because prior to having that ability, you couldn't necessarily do those sorts of things and engage in those forms of gameplay. Before you get the grappling hook, you can't grapple onto things <laughs> onto the side of buildings. But after you get the grappling hook, you can chuck it up into the air and you can climb up the, you know, the side of a building onto the roof very efficiently or maybe not so efficiently. So that's that's what we're going to call player progression. Sort of like as as you play over time, you your 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 player character changes in terms of their capabilities and characteristics. Um, subjective progression, which is this concept that we introduced in, uh, I wish I would have had this for the previous recording because the episode number is right there. <laughs> I know. I, totally <laughs> episode fine. 90 of, of the podcast. And so this is, this is a little fuzzy thing because this is sort of the transformation of what you, the player experience in feel typically in emotional terms, but not exclusively in emotional terms as you progress through the game and so like you know in our example from the last of us like how you feel about being joel is very different at sort of the beginning of the game from how you feel about you know that that moment that lauren highlighted which is the bus depot like how you feel about playing as joel in that moment like has a very different kind of subjective experience to it than playing as joel say at the very beginning of the game when you're like well, not sorry, not playing as Joel at the beginning of the game, but just after the beginning of the game, when you know you first encounter Ellie, and you know you're still with Tess, and you know you go kill that guy for Tess for reasons that are not really explained. So that's subjective progression, the sort of transformation of like your the player's experiences over time as you play. Character, what we're going to call character progression, and the thing that we really kind of want to focus on here is the trans sort of is analogous to that subjective progression but is like the subjective progression of the in-game character and so this is as lauren said what we typically think of in terms of you know a novel or a film as the character arc um but it's 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 a little different in terms of games and so like laying that out so just to recap player progression transformation of abilities and characteristics over time Subjective progression, the transformation of your personal experiences as you play. Character progression, the transformation of the experiences of the character who is your avatar in-game. Does that make sense, Lauren? Oh, no. Of course it makes sense. I think for me, like for the purposes of this, what's really, really important, right, is that the player progression is something that enables you, right, to usually fight more challenges. Yeah 
right? That then change your subjective progression of your experience. Yeah, they're all entangled. <laughs> and, and they're all entangled, yeah. right? And then I think that what's interesting is because I, I want to really build up here into this like level of empathy, right? Yeah. Is that if player progression, right, gives you kind of an objective, right, account of your actions, kind of on a skill tree, yeah. right? The more skills you get, yeah, you the better it. enemies you that you can. Yeah. yeah, to codify this, yeah. right? You get subjective progression is now you can take on more bosses, right? The big bads. But then also, right, is your subjective progression then relates to, right, your character's kind of progression throughout that story, yeah. right? How actually now, right, that you're at the end of the game as Miles Morales, your subjective progression and Miles' progression can diverge where yeah. he's finally taking on his, spoiler, best <laughs> friend who is now actually the villain, who wasn't really the villain, whatever, Um is now underscored <laughs> by the fact that you as the player never unlocked the perfect dodge ability. Uh, this, this so is, you always, you always bring it back to the fact that yeah. you never unlocked perfect dodge. <laughs> because I don't think you understand that that was such a fundamental part of the player progression yes, yes it is. that it was supposed to literally be the win mechanic of the character's progression at the end of the game yep. that changed my subjective progression yes. of how I experienced that level instead. But because players refuse so, to do what designers tell them to do. <laughs> and as the designer, I refused to do what the other designers of Insomniac told me to do. And I should have listened. That being said, what I'm trying to say here, right, is well, they're all three parallel tracks. Yeah. Right. Like I have now been generated. I've generated some empathy right, yeah. around for myself. Right. But also the developers. So while it's meta empathy, yeah. it's empathy maybe outside the game. Yeah. I think what's really important is you can kind of see in that moment, like the best, truest example of how because you didn't unlock a skill. Right. Yeah. I think a more complex and probably more subjective would probably be doing something like a Bloodborne or like an Elden Ring where the weapons you create yeah. and the, the multiple experiences right, that you create are more intertwined but i think that's too messy than somehow you're able to complete this game without literally getting the win mechanic for the freaking final fight yeah exactly like do you know what i mean yeah. it's, and, that, and it's not a bug it is intentional because it's an open world sandbox environmental design yeah. it is intentional however you, <laughs> you wow. Lauren has got okay. the finger wag <laughs> going you <laughs> you okay I, I was I was about to call out call out his name, but that's I don't even think he actually worked on that that level. That's fine. Yeah. It's because I know I love the Insomniac developers. I love them so yeah. much. So any future Insomniac developers, please subscribe to this uh, podcast on Patreon. And if you hear this, <laughs> you, you guys do great work. Uh, moving on, um, but yeah, I, let's really dig into that empathy, Nicholas. Yeah. Because why do we want to talk about empathy as it relates to this right progression? Well, it it relates back to the the sort of the point that we ended on at the very in the previous episode, which is that. To, a way to think about like so if you're a designer like you may get you know feedback from players you know beta testers or you know you may have some research based on you know other related games and the way in which players have reacted to those all of those things might help you understand like how things have played after the fact but in, when you're in sort of like the design phase it's like okay well how do i think about how to construct my game so as to sort of elicit particular emotional and or just like personal reactions to the things that i'm going to do and so then you have to think about the way in which what we're calling character progression maps onto or in some cases fails 
to map onto because you can do this sort of in an ironic way as well fails to map onto the uh the player's sort of subjective experience as you know they're they're going along and then having that always in the back of your mind it can help you sort of like clarify okay, I need to be doing this, not this, or like, you know, I don't necessarily need, like I need these features. I don't necessarily need these features because these features up here are the ones that I need in order to get the response from the player that I'm looking for. And yeah, so, and just to add slightly to that also, I wanted to note that like the reason why we're thinking this specifically in terms of progression also relates to something that we highlighted in terms of what The Last of Us was doing very well, which is that their level designers were thinking very conscientiously about sort of the series of encounters and how the series of encounters all sort of like work together to create this kind of, as we said, subjective condition for the player. And then that's why it's a progression. That's why you have to think about sort of like the transformation over time. How are things changing as this new stuff gets introduced as the player goes along. And I think that for me, what I'm really excited by when I am developing levels or experiences, just like in general, is I am coming at it from of that you know, narrative underpinning. Yeah. So it is more related to the subjective experience. So I think what's really interesting for me is when I look at empathy, we're looking at how do we design empathy in video games or just saying, how do you elicit empathy and say, if I was to write a novel, or if I was writing a comic book, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of people, when we look at comic book design or we look at empathy in terms of storytelling, we go into this kind of cycle of, well, it's about the character yeah. and how relatable is the character to your user or your player? How, if they're relatable, then what does their dialogue sound like? Like, does that make sense? And it's, it gets into this cycle of true just characterization. Yeah. Right of a certain of a certain type, and it doesn't actually get further into the meat of what is the player actually doing with that character. Exactly, yeah. Right, and how is the world kind of reacting to that character? And something that you mentioned here in like the show notes was also about not just about how the characters are fixed, right? Because when I'm reading a book, the character is fixed. Yep. Right, the character is not changing. Yeah. I think what's really important. Well, no, it's not that the character is not changing; it's that it's predetermined. It's that well, it's predetermined, but what's but it's also predetermined. Technically, Joel's predetermined, right? And here's yeah. what we talked about in The Last of Us, and we kind of hinted at, was that Joel goes through his own character art, and we can see Joel changing throughout the story and throughout our experiences. The issue is that in games, right, unlike in a book, I am reading, right, or I think The Witcher is actually a great example because The Witcher show versus The Witcher game, yeah. they are very different, but in both, they have a consistent like Geralt yeah. okay he never he he is he never changes it's not that he doesn't change he does yeah. it's just he is a consistent character and I love talking about this in comparison to Joel actually because Geralt when you play The Witcher 3 you have dialogue choice in that game and you can ask things of other people but there are moments where you will say things sarcastically that you as the player actually are curious about and the world responds to you where well, I didn't think a witcher would be interested in that. Yeah. And then Geralt's like, well, humor. <laughs> because he's like, yeah. I'm not actually interested. Or he's like, hey, you never, like, you know, he actually fights back against the world, yeah. right? In, you know, in a non, right, in this dialogue way. Yeah. And that's so crucial and so important because what I'm getting at here is that the player feels like they have agency over the character 
even when they don't. And so when I'm reading a book, I don't think that, right, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, like, going through the Chamber of Secrets or whatever, like, I don't don't think I'm them. I am reading about them. I'm not putting myself in their shoes, right? And even if I was reading a first-person book like The Hunger Games, like, I am not Katniss Everdeen. Like, I'm just reading her thoughts. I'm reading her diary almost, right? But when you're playing a game... I am responsible for Joel making it to the either side of the dumpster and for getting it through that the horde of infected and for not making a noise and for not getting Ellie killed. Like, I am responsible for that. Yeah. So even though I don't have agency over technically what Joel decides to do in the story, I do have agency over Joel's actions in the gameplay. Precisely, yeah. And I think that's that's the connection, right, between the character and the player and the subjective progression that is garnering, I think, some empathy. Well, also, if you take that same logic of sort of like control over actions to the nth degree, it can also explain why you can, why the sort of the whole logic of identifying with a character breaks down. Because the thing is, you know, when you're reading a novel, the character, like literally the character has been predetermined in the sense that like everything about them has already been written. It's already been printed. It's just going to be realized as, as you read through. Whereas the thing is, like, with games, you can have player characters, you can have avatars that are really kind of just a shell. Like, they really don't have much in terms of, like, personality, personal history, backstory, whatever you want to call it, going on. But they are extremely fleshed out in terms of what you can do through them in the game. And so... Okay, just off the top. So this is in the show notes. It's not off the top of my head. So like in Bioshock, the the, the character that you play as like has a personal history and it's revealed over the course of the game. But in many ways, it's kind of irrelevant as you play because what is more important about that character is sort of the system of abilities and sort of like the way in which the encounters are designed around them and how that whole thing like structures what you can actually do. That is really well fleshed out. So like even if you don't necessarily know all that much about sort of like the personality or the background of this character that you inhabit, you can still empathize with them because you are in sort of those those moments and those experiences that are defining who that character is in terms of the game. Whereas with other media, typically speaking, you have to sort of observe those things rather than sort of like work through them in the way that a game allows you to work through them. And so there's that that interesting gap there where games actually reveal that it doesn't have to be about identifying with the character at all. Like you can actually elicit empathy in these other crucially important ways. 